Okay, welcome to our latest installment of Dear Chelsea. This is a very, very therapeutic podcast hosted by yours truly and my wonderful producer, Catherine, who is here with me. Thank you. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Chelsea. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm happy today. You are? Yeah, feeling good. We were just talking about grounding mats. If you guys are listening, grounding mats are where it's at. I was introduced to it by Joe Coy and his tour bus, but I just brought it up to Catherine. And Catherine, can you kind of give us an abridged version of what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, an earthing mat or a grounding mat, and you can actually find there's a book about it, but really just go look at the Amazon reviews because people have these changed lives from using these. But basically what it does is... Since we evolved as humans walking around on the earth, the earth would absorb any positive electrical charge that we would build up. But nowadays we all walk around in these rubber-soled shoes, and so we're building up static electricity. And this is all measurable. It sounds very woo-woo, but it's all real. And so it's the sort of thing that happens when you walk around on the beach or around on grass, and the earth actually absorbs that electric charge that builds up and that charge can kind of cause a host of things. So so you said positive electrical charge or negative electrical charge? A positive electrical charge. And so we want to get back to neutral. We want to get back to zero, which is what happens when we walk around. Right, right. You want to get grounded, which means mm-hmm. you're at zero. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's great for anti-inflammation. It's great yes. for sleeping. My, yes. Joe Coy, my lover, has terrible sleep apnea. So mm-hmm. he looks like a fucking octopus every single night when he goes to sleep <laughs> because he has to hook himself up to a machine that sounds like he's vacuuming and basically it's like he goes to Antarctica for eight hours because once he hooks up to that machine it's like see you later and he hasn't used the machine for three nights yeah my husband stopped snoring yeah oh really my husband stopped snoring my dad had like a neuropathy in his foot where he couldn't really feel his foot for a while and it went away when he started using one my friend one of the guys on the bus says he gets gout all the time and he's been using it and hasn't had an outbreak is gout called an outbreak i think that's herpes but anyway we can call (laughs) gout an outbreak right a gout break yeah And it's good for autoimmune, you know, anti-inflammation. I came back from my orca and literally turned around and went on the road with Joe and was completely fine. Had no jet lag because I got on the bus and they're like, you got to ground, you got to ground, you got to ground. So it's very exciting, you guys. For listeners, you can go on Amazon, right, and and order one. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little mat that you put on your feet or you put your feet on or you can put it around your body. You can sleep with it on your, Mm -hmm. like, just touching some part of your skin. And it helps you kind of be grounded. And yeah, I'm really excited about it. Hopefully I'll stick to it. We have a very exciting guest today. This is somebody that I'm personally invested in. And she has a new special out on Comedy Central called Whiskey Fists. So if you haven't seen that, please do, because she has got a real point of view, which is what we all want when we're watching comedy, is somebody who's saying something that you hadn't thought of before. And she says a lot of that. And she says it with a lot of attitude. She is a writer on HBO's That Damn Michael Che. And she's also in Amy Schumer's new Hulu series, Life and Beth, which I'm looking forward to seeing also. And this is how I found her, her weekly podcast, which is fucking funny as shit. So follow her on Instagram at Rosebud Baker. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Follow her on Instagram at Rosebud Baker and watch clips of her podcast and then subscribe to her podcast because she and her husband sit there and just basically argue in a <laughs> And not even really a loving way, but in a, in a way that there's a lot of love there, but it is highly entertaining and something I wish I had thought of for myself. 
Please welcome Rosebud Baker. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Thanks nice for having to me. see you in person. I'm so that I'm I love that you love the podcast because sometimes people go, they get uncomfortable. I love it. And they'll be like, I, I don't know. It's, it feels like they're really fighting. And it's like we are really fighting. That's what <laughs> it's like. But that's what it is. But that's what a relationship is. Yeah. It's telling somebody what, what you think, what you really think about them and them having to suck that up. Right. <laughs> and, and there's also not a lot of that going around right now so I have a lot of respect for it because people are trying to pussyfoot around everything in this moment in time because people are so scared to be real and this is a real podcast and it is about a real relationship and that's what's funny about it so it's very refreshing so I'm really excited and we're also my production company is developing a television show with Rosebud so when I say personally invested I mean it that way because I just am really really looking forward to going out with this show for you which is based on you know your real life experiences and what Mm -hmm. happened to you growing up yeah which is (laughs) well first let me just tell the story about I was in Maine Mm -hmm. last year around this time actually I was in Maine Mm -hmm. in a place called Biddeford Pool which I rented a house for like two weeks with my family and some friends kind of strolled in and out but Barbara Bush who is the daughter of George W. Bush Mm-hmm. she is a friend of mine and she texted me and she said, sissy, that's what we call each other, sissy. She goes, sissy, I, I hear that you're in Biddeford pool. I'm here with my mom. We're like two houses down from where you're staying. And I said, oh my God, come on over, sissy. So she came over, but she was and she, with Barbara Bush, the mm-hmm. former first lady. And I walk outside and they're walking up my driveway and there's, I guess, Secret Service must have been with them or something. Yeah. And they came into the house and I showed them the view because we had rented this beautiful house with this gorgeous ocean yeah. view. Maine is gorgeous. Yeah, Maine is gorgeous. And she walked outside on the deck. And then my brother, Roy, came outside and <laughs> looked at Barbara Bush and said, sweetie, he goes, sweetie, you look familiar. <laughs> and I was like, Roy, please go inside. Please don't. <laughs> and then we proceeded to hang out that week because Barbara was in Kenny Bunkport with her whole family and we were doing Pilates at my house every morning. So she... That sounds so relaxing. It's so, yeah, it's very white. All of it, it. All of it. <laughs> she came over every morning to do Pilates with us. And then one day she was, her husband is really into pickleball. And I am not into pickleball because everybody won't shut the fuck up about pickleball. And I don't (laughs) like when people can't shut the fuck up about something. I want it to pass and then I'll get interested. It's like a book. The pressure is too much. I'm like, I don't want to have to like this. Yeah. If everyone's reading the same book, I'm like, everyone read Educated. I'm like, I'm so sick of that book that I cannot fucking read it until everyone shuts the fuck up about it. Yeah. And then I listen to it on audio, which is not the way to read that book. I don't like audio books. I like to read books. Anyway, we went to Kenny Bunkport. I said, to Barbara I said listen she goes why don't you guys come to Kenny Bunkport come to the compound play pickleball and I had a big group with me and I was like okay you know they all wanted to go and I don't care about that stuff and I also said hey sissy let me be honest with you like me meeting your father I don't know if I can trust myself and my behavior because (laughs) you know sometimes I have outbursts and you know politically it's just not a good thing and I don't want to be disrespectful and somebody's in their own home. Yeah, you had to issue a warning. Yes. Yeah. And she's like, oh, don't worry. He'll be getting a massage when you come over. I'll make sure of it. I go, okay, okay. You know, I take your word. She's a liar because we were there <laughs> and we were on the court for no less than 10 minutes before George W. Bush, 
I heard him go, Miss Handler, is that you? And I was like, oh, <laughs> Fuck. 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 Now I have to like, oh my God, this is against everything I stand for. Right. I'm like, I'm such a hypocrite. Here I am. You know, and of course I found him totally like cute and charming. He comes over. I know. It's... I know. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and so he comes over and he goes, oh, he goes, I know you. You know what? I know somebody that is going to be the next Chelsea Handler. And I go, I doubt that. <laughs> I go, I doubt. He goes, no, she's a comedian. I go, you don't know any comedians that I know. Right. And he was like, oh, no, I do. He goes, James Baker. She's the granddaughter of James Baker. Mm-hmm. And I was like, James Baker, who worked for you? And he said, yeah, James Baker, who worked for me. And I go, I don't think that I know her. And he goes, oh, Rosebud, Rosebud Baker. And I was like, oh, fuck, we have a deal with Rosebud. We're developing a show for Rosebud Baker. And I go, my God, we do have something in common. I know. And also, like, I've met him so many times in my life where I felt the exact same way that you did, where I was just like, oh, God damn it, because he is likable. He's yeah, very likable. Yeah, and he's charming. He's so charming. And you're like, no, I I get why people, the whole, like, litmus test, like, would you have a beer with this person? He's the guy you want to have a beer with. I mean, he he is. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I get why. Yeah, it, he was excited to have company. And my brother and sister were there, and then, like, six or seven friends of mine, and they were all just, like, you know, dumbstruck. They were like, what the fuck is going on? And he was talking to my sister and my brother, Roy. He's like, Roy, God, I love Roy. And, you know, he talks about, <laughs> everyone loves my brother, Roy, because his head is very large and misshapen, so people think that, you know, like, they don't not sure if something's off or what, so <laughs> they're always very delicate with him. But then I go, after he we kind of hung out for a little he was with his sister and then he left and i was like all right we gotta go guys everyone and they're like why we're having a good time we're playing pickleball i go i just don't want to be here any longer like i don't trust myself i want to be respectful so we're about to leave and he comes running out of the house and he's like come you got to see the house we just renovated it i want to show you the views and he and and i was like oh god oh fuck this is somebody after they retire (laughs) (laughs) it's like never ending exactly (laughs) and we went in and he's like i want to show you my art collection and i was really stoned that day yeah not unlike most days i know you're sober we'll talk about that too (laughs) did he show you his paintings he said I have to show you my artwork. And I looked at him and I said, I don't think that's a good idea either. <laughs> and I remember, and then I, he walked me upstairs. There was one painting downstairs. And then he goes, come on upstairs. And I was like looking for Barbara. I'm like, hey, sissy, this is not what we agreed upon. <laughs> and he, brought, he brings me upstairs and I'm he's showing me his paintings. And all I could think of was, I said out loud, wow, the paint is so thick. <laughs> Can I tell you, my mother... Right after he got out of office, my mom and my dad got divorced and my mom started like campaigning for Obama. And then literally (laughs) just immediately was just like, fuck it. And he asked my mom to teach him how to paint. And my mom was like giving him painting lessons. And she was like, bud, it's not coming along. It's not working out. (laughs) She was like, it's really it's uh, I mean, he likes it. He's having fun. So. Yeah, that's the most important thing is for him to have fun right now, right. I guess. Yeah. Yes. And then at one point he said, take off your sunglasses so you can see the painting. 
And I just looked at him and I said, I'm very, very stoned right now. You're like, I'd rather not. I'm going to keep these on. And then we're going to walk downstairs and I'm going to say goodbye. And I remember my friends were like loitering. You know, they would, didn't want to leave because he was cornering my one friend and talking to her about sports and whatever. Yeah. And my friends were into it. And I was like, guys, let's go. <laughs> I'm like, round them up and let's go. We got to leave this party. I love the idea of George Bush, the former president, just being like the guy from Blank Check, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, you guys want to come ride horses sometime? It's just, just keeping you there, holding you hostage yeah, with activities. It. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay, somebody hasn't had a lot of visitors in a long time. <laughs> okay, Rosebud, let's talk a little bit about you for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about your stand-up special, which just came out. So that's on Comedy Central. Oh, we talked. To, we let's talk about what your show is about. Okay. Because we have something in common, which is death in our family. Right. And I wanted to write a show about death that dealt with it in a way that wasn't so sentimental. And I wanted to find the just the hilarious, absurd experience of grief that I feel like hasn't really been touched on. I find that if something is sad, it's funny to me. I've never seen a sad thing that didn't immediately make me laugh. And I, it's unfortunate. I mean, sometimes it comes up. Somebody will tell me some bad news. And my first reaction is to like choke down a laugh. And I think part of it is a defense mechanism. Absolutely. But I also think that there's a lot of, I mean, grief itself is a, an absurd emotion. It is like organic ayahuasca. Whatever you've been shoving down it immediately comes up and you have to deal with it. And I wanted to write a show around that. I wanted to write a show that deals with the funny parts of death and grief, you know? Yeah. And to me, I mean, there's there was so much of that that I saw because I grew up with money and I grew up in a family where, you know, everybody had this country club etiquette. And I thought, I want to write a show that deals with grief through the prism of like wealth and money and that country club world where you're supposed to keep everything in a box and everything's supposed to look nice and tidy because I think that's such a great backdrop for an emotion like grief and to to highlight how absurd and how funny it can be you know yeah well and also can you talk a little bit about who died in your family and how yeah so my sister died it was about 20 years ago she died in a jacuzzi which is um i mean just a jumping off point in our show yeah Yeah. so i mean there's jokes about this in my special in whiskey fists but it's to me dying in a jacuzzi is such a funny way to die um (laughs) I mean, like there's drowning and then there's drowning in a small, shallow pool with bubbles. And it's just absurd. And she was young. She was very young. So how old was she? She was seven. She was very, she was a child. Okay. And how old were you at the time? 17. Mm -hmm. So, and I never saw, obviously when this happened, I didn't find this hilarious, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't, None of this was funny to me until years later when I would be telling people about myself and they would go, oh, how did your sister die? And I would say that she drowned. And then they would say, how did she drown? But that wasn't really what they wanted. They wanted to know where. Mm -hmm. And I had to, like, fill them in that it was a jacuzzi. And I it's like there's just this pause after you say it. Where I have to be like, you know, she wasn't shooting a music video or anything like it wasn't it. It was like and then I have to get into all the gory details of like how someone drowns in a jacuzzi. Mm. And 
And people would just be staring at me like they wanted to get to know me, but like not that well, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, right. People ask questions that they really don't want the answers to. All the time. And I'll answer. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, that's my problem is that I will (laughs) fully fill you in. But then you're just staring at me with your mouth agape. Like what? Well, I, okay, well, that's the end of this conversation, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a tricky conversation because people always feel guilty and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. When people ever ask me about my brother, they go, oh my, if they don't know about my brother dying, they're like, I'm yeah. so sorry. It's like, okay, it's not your fault. Like, I, you didn't fucking kill him. Like, I mean, it's past yeah. the point of me needing to hear that. But, you know, people just are probably... They don't know what to say. Yeah, it's like an immediate reaction. People go, I'm so sorry. And then you're in the position of having to comfort them over something that happened to you. Yeah, a long, long time ago. A long time ago. And it's the weirdest moment. And I feel like the way that our culture deals with grief and death and like loss of life is we just don't want to touch it. We don't want to like actually deal with it. We try to keep it clean. We try to keep it nice. And it's messy and it should be. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those moments where it absolutely should be as messy as it is. Yeah. But it's also, uh, we have such a repressed way. I remember going to my first black funeral. I mm-hmm. went to a gospel funeral when I was like nine or 10 years old because my friend's grandmother died mm-hmm. and he was black. And it was like the biggest celebration I'd ever been to. And I just came home and I'm Jewish. So we have the worst funerals. It's like, <laughs> and they go on for seven days of sitting Shiva. Yeah. And I remember being like, this is the way to do it. This is the way when someone dies, you celebrate their life. Obviously that's different when it's a child because you're not celebrating, you know, that's devastating to parents and it's devastating yeah. to, to lose a young one. But when you give something any space, any tragedy, any space, it always becomes, there becomes a funny way to talk about it. And yeah. that's just the way it is. And that can upset people, but it's just so true. And it's also a way to deal with your own grief. You know, yeah. humor is the best outlet for grief. Absolutely. I think that her dying is the reason why I find sad things funny. I think that's like, that was the thing that just made me Immediately, my sense of humor was sort of like a graveside sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And to this day, still is. And did you do therapy? Have you done a oh, lot of therapy? yeah. I mean, I don't think I would be able to write jokes about this stuff if I hadn't been to therapy. I, I truly owe my therapist, like, my entire act, you know, because I wouldn't have been able to talk about any of it, you know. And I, I also feel like it would be psychotic of me to try mm-hmm. if I hadn't worked all of this out and taken care of myself before taking it to the stage. It would be not only would it not be funny, it would be very sad. Mm-hmm. It would be like yeah. somebody trying to make sense of something through like the applause of strangers. It just, ugh, yeah, you know, right. But I love therapy. I've been in therapy for eight, nine years now. Are you still in therapy? Yes. I was forced into therapy at a young age, though. So I I was like... Because of your sister? No, just because I was fat. And my and I, like my parents were like, something's wrong. And uh, very waspy background. And they were like, we got to get her into therapy. And it's like, maybe you're just having four or five kids and I'm hoarding food because I'm worried about supplies. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, <laughs> but they uh, they sent me into therapy really young And I hated it. I like hated it. I lied to therapists. There are therapists out there who still think I have four sisters because I just didn't bring up the fact that I had a dead one and like was just not even going to touch it. Yeah, right. It wasn't until like I got sober and then six years after getting sober when nothing had gotten better, 
I was like, okay, I have to go into therapy for myself. So what age did you get sober? I got sober at 24, 24. Yeah. Because it was unmanageable. Yes. It was very bad. Um, (laughs) It was like blacking out, blacking out almost every time. And then oftentimes like trying to hurt myself, trying to like run into traffic or like run at the edge of a roof and then coming out of this blackout being like, ah, like what's happening, you know? And then everyone around me being just devastated and me pointing at them and being like, you're being overdramatic. I'm fine. I was drunk. Relax, you know? So it wasn't fun. It wasn't like drinking with me as a 24 year old woman, girl, really. It was more like drinking with a 72 year old man. Like it was whose wife had taken everything. <laughs> like it was not, it was not a fun experience. It wasn't a party. It was like I started the night wanting it to be a party, but then at the end of the night, I'd be like, what happened? Yeah. I feel like some people have an allergy to alcohol. Yeah. Like you have an allergic reaction to alcohol. Like when people call in the show all the time about addiction and stuff like that. And it's like, it's just not for some people. You have to treat it like you're allergic to it. Like you're allergic to peanuts. Yeah. You know, if you have them, it's going to go badly. Yeah. Everything is going to be bad for the. So did anyone intervene? Like what were the circumstances around you getting um, sober? No one intervened. I just got myself to a place where I pushed everything everyone in my life away and isolated myself to the point where I had no one to blame anymore. So I didn't want anybody to get in the way of the way that I liked to drink. But then when everyone was gone, I was like, oh, now I can't blame my drinking on anyone else. Mm. So I really just got to a point where I was alone and had no explanation for why my life was so shitty, except for the person in the mirror. And that's kind of how it happened. I mean, I remember like the day that I got sober, waking up on my floor, no idea how I'd gotten home and looking in the mirror and wanting to cry, but not even being able to because I just I remember looking at myself trying to cry and going, you are so full of shit. Like just knowing that I was full of shit and being like, I know my own number. I know what's happening. And it was really people talk about like having a moment of clarity before they drink. It really was that like it was it's it's almost too on the nose, you know, like me looking in the mirror and like really seeing myself for the first time in a long time. And then the night before someone had given me their number to like call them in case I needed to get sober. Just a random person on the street that I had invited to come drink with me was like, you need help, (laughs) like an absolute stranger. And I called her that day and then went to like go to a 12 step meeting with her that night. And I just got sober. It was the weirdest, the weirdest thing because it was so anticlimactic. And what do you think that was? Do you think that was like a divine act? Do you believe in God or do you think like what do you believe in? I believe in God, not in the sense of like I I really kind of like bristle when you talk about God in the way that. I was brought up to think of God, like punishing, even the sense of karma where people talk about like, oh, if you do this, something bad is going to happen to you later. Like people talk about karma in that way. I'm like, no, that's like a Christian God that you're talking about, but you're applying that to karma. I really think it was just that there's like we have a higher wisdom within ourselves and we're 
there's so much noise in our heads. It's really hard to hear it. And for me, I just had this moment where like things got quiet enough for me to go, oh, you need to you need to ask for help. And I'm glad I didn't know that asking for help was even like an option or a thing that people do. I still to this day have like real problems with asking for help. I could have both dogs. I'm walking both dogs. I'm carrying all the recycling downstairs. I'm talking on the phone and I'm trying to unlock a door. And my husband's like, can I carry something for you? And I'm like, no, I've got it. And he's like, you don't. You don't have anything. <laughs> you don't have any. You are a mess. And and so, <laughs> and I'm like, I got it, you know. So it was just this one moment where I, I was relaxed enough to ask and desperate enough to ask. Yeah, I like what you're saying about higher wisdom within you because we do all have this reservoir of self-esteem we have this reservoir of confidence we have this reservoir of wisdom and it's up to us to like listen to that voice instead of the other right you know ego-based things or impulsivity and like not really thinking with your higher self which is also makes me cringe too but like I've gotten down on my knees and I do this regularly to say thank you God and I say God but I don't mean that yeah. you know I mean like Whatever is going on in the universe, whatever organizing principles that we don't know about that are right. happening, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for fucking making that happen and making this happen and making my life pleasurable and not painful, you know, yeah. overall and all of those things. So, and that's, well, it's a good segue into taking some calls because it's a good thing for women to constantly remind each other of, you know, yeah. that you do have it within you. It's like so many people think that they don't have that. It's like, we all have it. It's yeah. just, are you able to tap into it? And do you care enough to make the effort and to actually listen to your real voice? Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, great. So let's Catherine, or shall we take some calls for Rosebud yeah. and myself? Yeah, and let's take a quick ad break first, and we'll come back with some callers. Okay, sounds good. Our first question comes from E. Dear Chelsea, I'm the in network? a new relationship. Is this E, the network? <laughs> I told them not to fucking contact no me again. No point, unfortunately. <laughs> mm. I'm in a new relationship about five months. He's super hot and the sex is unreal. We have a great relationship, but when he gets really drunk, he makes rude comments to me. For example, he'll say, you're such an idiot. You say the dumbest things or this is one of the reasons I don't want to be with you. He always says sorry in the morning, but I just don't get what his deal is. I know he loves me and his friends always tell me how much he loves me, but I'm pissed off with the rude comments when he's drunk. Please let me know if this is a red flag or if I can fix it. Cheers, E. <laughs> well, I'll start with a personal story of my own. <laughs> that is a kind of behavior that is excusable one or two times if you're drinking. It, nothing really more than that. It cannot be an habitual thing. I did that with Joe. Actually, in the beginning of our relationship, I got really wasted and I said some really nasty things, not to him, but just nasty things that were not in my that are not in my character, but clearly are somewhere in my brain because they came out of my mouth. I'm going to blame Agua Caliente, the casino <laughs> on my behavior because of the decor and uh, the extreme heat. But we still he and I still talk about whenever anything is bordering or things are getting over the edge. He goes Agua Caliente because he didn't speak to me for three days. And this was at the very beginning 
beginning of our relationship. And I won't repeat what I said because it was pointless. But the, the point is that is not ever going to happen again because I will not allow that to ever happen again. So, you know, you make the first time the last time, but if this is a habitual thing with him, then that is a problem. You know, you can't be spoken to like that by somebody that is supposed to love you, regardless of what his friends say. So if he only says that when he drinks, then he needs to be mindful when he drinks. And if he can't control himself when he drinks, then he can't drink. So Mm -hmm. those are the options. And I would be curious, do we have her on the phone? No, this one was just an email. But I mean, the fact that she ends it with, is it something I can fix? We've all been there. That was the thing for me where I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't fix it at all. This is one of those things where if I were in this position, I would go, "Okay, I've said this can't happen again and it's happened. So am I ready to leave now or how many times more can this happen before I head out the door? Because I would just immediately be like. I have to be really strict about boundaries like that. And even if I feel like, okay, I'm just not ready to leave right this second, I'm going to let it happen max twice more and then I'm out, you know, and let him know this is how it is. I'm going to go. The rest is up to him. You really have to put it in his lap. I mean, the sex might be great, but there's great sex everywhere. Yeah, there is. There's great sex everywhere. There are 7 billion people on the planet, you know, like you can't be called an idiot. Like once I get it. People make mistakes. That's fine, but not repeatedly. So if it's something that's happened multiple times, then you actually need to set a boundary and that, you know, and it has to do with drinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's tricky, too, because it's like it might not change. I mean, if I were in that position, I would be like, my bet is that it's not going to change because I'm if I start to immediately go, he'll he'll do it. He'll change. It'll be fine. Then I get stuck in a pattern of not being able to leave someone that I don't belong with, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's tricky, but you have to have really good boundaries. You have to get out of there if you if you can. Yeah. Well, what was the writer's name? E. 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 Oh, yeah. Right. Of course. E. Okay. <laughs> e. So hopefully that will help you because, yeah, you have to be respected. Remember that, you know, if you wouldn't accept it for your sister or your daughter or your niece, then you don't accept it for yourself. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> well, our next submission comes from a caller, Diana. She says, Dear Chelsea, my partner and I do not plan on having kids. I never felt the urge and place high value on my independence. I'm now in my mid-30s, and all of my friends' lives revolve around their children. I find we have little to talk about, and it's hard to make plans due to our different lifestyles. They're also able to make new friends through their kids, an outlet I obviously don't have. I feel like I don't have any strong friendships anymore, and I'm struggling to meet new people because of my choice to be child-free. My husband can't relate at all. His friendships are pretty much unchanged, despite him being the only one who's child-free of his friends. Must be a guy thing. What advice do you have to help me maintain my current friendships as well as find some new like-minded friends? Diana. Well, that's good because I'm, you know, steadfastly childless and I take a lot of pride in that. Mm -hmm. But I also have a lot of girlfriends that have children and that's fine, too, because I do like children. I just don't want my own. I mean, I don't, you know, love them. I like them, though. And when I have good friends, I love their children just by virtue of loving them. So I would say, A, you have to make a little bit more of an effort with your friends that are married with children to let them know that you're down for that, too, because that's part of the package. You know, some friends have children and then that becomes their package. And it's your level of time 
tolerance and if you really care about those relationships. Oh, well, we have Diana right here. Oh, yeah. I always forget what kind of podcast this is. Uh, <laughs> Diana, hi. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. This is Rosebud. Me, hi. Me, Diana. Hi, Diana. Hi, Rosebud. Hi, Chelsea. So nice to meet you. Aw. So are you, do you feel like you're putting an effort forth with your friends who have children? I am. To be honest, though, I have nothing to add sometimes to the conversations. And maybe it's just the point in life I'm at, but where my kid, my friends all have younger children and that's really all they want to talk about. Yeah. Anything going on in my life, we'll talk about it for maybe 30 seconds. And then it's like, oh, okay, look what my four-year-old did. Isn't it annoying when this person said that? Yeah. So it's, it's a little frustrating. So I almost feel like I'm putting the effort in, but maybe it's not reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm I'm in the same position. My best friend just had a kid and every time mm-hmm. she picks up FaceTime, the FaceTime is on her child who can't speak. And I'm <laughs> I, like, I love this kid because I love my friend, like you said, but it's, you think you're going to lose your friend to like a new boyfriend. This is like a million times worse. You know, <laughs> oh, this totally is just, worse. it's so, it's so hard because it's all she also, talks about. Also, there's no chance of them breaking up. <laughs> there's no chance. I mean, I keep being like, I can't wait for this kid to be 18. And <laughs> it's, but it, it really is like, it's, first of all, I'm sorry that you're going through this because it is hard. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it makes you sad, even though yeah. you're happy for your friend, it does make you sad. But I think that in terms of like making new friends, what do you do? I'm a CPA. You're a CPA. Okay. Mm-hmm. So are there people at work that you're that are child free or Yeah, I have a couple of friends. So the problem with work is that which is not a problem. I'm the boss. So okay. I can't really it's hard to make friends with your employees. Like you're actually not really supposed to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That's annoying. They're gonna be like, Oh, the boss is going through something. She's really trying to make friends with all of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like no one wants that to begin with. And so so yeah, so there's that. But even in my day-to-day, like at the gym or places I go normally, there's really not a lot of us out there. Yeah. Where do you live? I live in New York. I live uh-huh. on Long Island okay. in the suburbs. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, I mean, what do you do? What What are the things that you do outside of work? You go to the gym? What Do you have I any hobbies? So I belong to a CrossFit gym, which is known to be like very social, which it is. Outside of that, there's I work a lot, which is probably not a great answer. I see family a lot. I have a close, close knit extended family. But yeah, the pandemic is probably part of it, right? Yeah, that kind of exacerbated everything, right? Yes. Anything that's not great in your life is exacerbated by the pandemic because it's just everybody became so reclusive and like stayed mm-hmm. in within their like kind of nuclear families. But I would say, what were you going to say, Rosebud? I was going to say that, you know, adding more hobbies to your life and sort of enriching your own life, you will, mm-hmm. I mean, friends will be a byproduct of that. But just if your friends aren't putting the kind of interest into your life that you would want them to, I think putting your own interests into your life, it's, that's going to benefit you even more. And it won't matter whether or not they're asking about what you're up to, because you're going to be so into what you're up to that you don't mind talking about their kids Mm because their lives are going to seem boring to you. I mean, it's, it'll be like community service, (laughs) you know? I mean, and that's not shitting on life with kids. I'm just saying, I think the more you have going on, the less it's going to matter to you what they think of it or what they're asking about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had friends who overdo it with their babies and think that I'm going to be like a godmother or like their auntie. And it's like, hey, know me less. Okay, I've been very clear about how I feel about newborn babies. And if you have a baby, that's your baby, not my baby. So don't put me on a FaceTime with your baby. I had a friend who did that. We were away on vacation and she must have FaceTimed her baby 15 times one day and every single time put me on the phone with her until I said, hey, you've got like that's an extreme example of the situation. But I think I couldn't agree with Rosebud more because it's like when you have your own stuff going on, like you do need to find new hobbies. You need to like, you know, whatever you're interested in athletic wise, change it up, go to a different CrossFit, Mm -hmm. join an outdoor gym, Mm -hmm. join a sailing club or any of these like very corny sounding things is how single people actually facilitate new relationships, whether they're romantic or whether they're non-romantic. It's like that's how you make friends is by changing the dynamics of your day to day life and actually putting yourself out there in a different way. It's like what people have to experience when they want to date somebody. It's like, oh, fuck, how do I do it? It's the same thing for finding new friends, you know, because you're not alone. There are millions of single women out there that are just like you. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like you. I'm not I'm not ever going to have a kid. So I I, I get it. But I do believe when you do fill up your own kind of cup, you know, then you're not looking at how full other people's cups are. You're kind of just all right at your little tea party, so to speak. And you're not going to be annoyed by having to hear about two or three year olds, no matter how annoying that is, which it is. Yeah, It is annoying when a person becomes a parent and their entire identity is locked into being a mommy. It's infuriating. Yeah, it really is. It's like watching your friend just vaporize in front of you. It's very sad. Oh, absolutely. It's so interesting because my husband is not going through this at all. Like his friends barely talk about their kids. Men don't talk about anything interesting. They have four stories each. You know what yeah. I mean? They all have four stories. It's all in the save drafts folder. Yeah. And it's boring and it's there's no depth. And so I can understand why you feel that way with regard. But it, hey, listen, at least you have a husband. There you go. That's true. Yeah. Right? That's fair. Yeah, fair point. There you go. Home run on that. So what kind of hobbies do you think of off the top of your head that you could get into? I do wish I had more time to volunteer so I can always make that time. I have a couple of rescue dogs so who I love and I love the organization I got them from. So it probably would be a good thing to go and do some volunteer work with them. Yeah. yeah. And what about taking your dogs to the dog park? There's people all the time at dog parks. That's like a big hookup spot. Yeah. I've yeah. never brought them to one where I'm living. Yeah, I think there's like there's a so many child free people living in the mm-hmm. world and I especially around New York and around the coasts. I think mm-hmm. less so maybe in the Midwest, but I think that our generation is actually the first generation that is I would say it's really split. Like having kids is an actual choice, a lifestyle mm-hmm. choice, and a lot of us are opting out. And I think right. that it might be hard to be that example, but if you think of yourself as that, as like you're an inspiration to people that might not really ever want kids that would that would have had them because they felt like they had to, you know? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, like, a, you know, a good example of this is in my life. I went skiing. I love skiing. And that's my hobby. And mm-hmm. I went skiing last year for four months. I went to Whistler, Canada. And I went by myself because the borders were closed. I couldn't go with my family. I'd never gone to Whistler alone without friends or family before. So I had to make friends. And I yeah. had never had to, I haven't had to make new friends in a really long time. And I became like a local yokel in Whistler. And I had made like <laughs> eight 
awesome, great girlfriends. Some of them are single. Some of them are married. We just went on a trip to Spain together for two weeks, all eight of us. And I mean, I'm 46 years old and these are my girlfriends from like, you know, I just met them last year. So you're always meeting people, especially when you find something that you're excited about, whether it's like, you know, I I, I have a problem listing hobbies because they I'm like, I want to say, what did they do in, in that Demi Moore movie? Which one? Ghost. Ghost, where she was... What, oh, pottery? Was, pottery. pottery. Oh, when I say hobbies, all I can think of is pottery. That's why I, 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 my skin crawls every time I say hobby, because I'm like, pottery? Yeah. No, I don't mean pottery, but like Jewelry windsurfing, making. kite surfing, <laughs> fucking going yeah. to the beach, you know, doing yoga outdoor, going into like group meditation, any of that mm-hmm. shit that you're interested in, you can find a place to do that in large groups. And, yeah. you know, and now it's safer to do that. So you can put yourself out there a little bit more. And I guarantee you, you will meet some people that you're interested in hanging out with yeah live a life that people with kids are jealous of yeah you know yeah, <laughs> I'm, sure they're, I'm, I'm sure they're a little bit jealous they just won't admit it yeah. right <laughs> make them more jealous and make them all realize what a big mistake they've made <laughs> and keep us posted let us know how that goes let us know how your progress goes but you're fine listen you're normal you're really attractive you're smart you have a great job you have a husband there's like there's you're not you're not threatening you're a perfect person to be friends with so yeah the opportunity is there so go for it thank you chelsea thank oh, you you're Rosa. so welcome yeah you're so welcome nice speaking to you yeah you too nice to meet you take care well, we have probably room for one more. Okay. We have how to date in New York while sober or secret baby and anger around that. Secret, secret baby? baby. <laughs> That's we're gonna have I to think go we have for to that. go with secret baby. Okay. She's actually on the line as well. So okay, great. All right, secret baby it is. Our next question comes from a caller named Lee. She says, Dear Chelsea, last year before the pandemic, I started dating a man who I've known for almost 10 years. We dated for about six months. Things weren't going great. I knew he was not the one, and eventually we broke up, but not before I ended up pregnant with his child. I'm 35. I have a career and a good life. I didn't always want to be a mother, but something about this pregnancy felt right. I knew I was going to keep the baby, and nothing would change my mind. At first, he asked if we could co-parent, but eventually it became clear that he didn't want to be part of the baby's life, so I decided to have the baby and raise her on my own, with no help from him physically or financially. Here I am five months later, and my daughter is the greatest joy. And yet at times I find myself angry. Angry because he has a 17-year-old daughter who has no idea about her half-sister. Angry because he got back together with the girl he was in a relationship with before me, and she has no clue about me or my baby. Angry that they bought a brand new expensive home together and yet he hasn't given a penny to his child. I'm angry for so many reasons, but most of all, I'm angry because she deserves better than to be kept a secret. So my question is this, how do I let go of the anger? Hi, Lee. Hi. Hi, Lee. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're doing well, thanks. Okay, first of all, you need to get the book Letting Go. By David Hawkins. Okay. Yeah. That is a great book. Do you know the book, Rosebud? Yeah. Yeah. I read this book all the time because it's about letting go of shit that A, you are the architect of, first of all. So let's remember that. Because you you made these rules and you created these boundaries with him about not being involved. So you can't be angry at that because that was your decision. 
if you want to change your decision, then you can. T- that's a separate conversation that you can have with him, right? Moving forward. But right now, you deciding to have this baby without help from him financially, without help from him emotionally, blah blah blah. That was your decision, no? No, that was that was my decision. I mean, he made it pretty clear that he didn't want anything to do with the baby. But I mean, in the end, it was my decision. Right. And are you in a position now where you actually need help from him? No. no. Okay. So where? So is the resentment? Where's the resentment coming from? Is it on behalf of the baby or, or on behalf of your daughter? Yeah, definitely. Like I just, I just feel angry that like how could you just not tell anybody about her? Like, how could you just keep her a complete secret? Like, I feel like she deserves a little bit more than that. And also I feel like maybe a little bit guilty that I brought her into this world and she's not going to have a father figure. So I think underneath the anger, there's a lot. Well, I had a father figure and he did jack shit for me. So I just want you to know (laughs) it's not necessarily the best thing to have a dad. You know? Yeah, that's a great point. Listen, I mean, the way you're talking about him and the way he sounds, you know, saying he wants nothing to do with the baby, it's like you are doing her a favor. You know, you're just looking at it from a different vantage point. And if you look at it from that kind of purview, it's different. Like, you don't just want anybody in your daughter's life. You want the right person in your daughter's life, which hopefully you're going to meet, you know, sooner than later. Yeah. And you should be focusing your attention and your energy on that positivity rather than looking in the rearview mirror and thinking about his other daughter. Who gives a shit? She probably fucking hates him, too, anyway. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're there for your daughter. You're enjoying how much you love your daughter. I had a similar conversation like this with my cousin because the father of her two children also walked out. He's never seen them. These two kids are adorable, beautiful. They're older now. And she, I remember us being in Mexico and her not being able to let go of the resentment that she had, that he didn't get to understand how amazing these two kids were. And I was like, yes, but he's never going to understand. You're here because you do understand how amazing these two kids are. So instead of focusing on what you don't have, focusing on what you can have. You know, you can find a guy or a partner or whatever you're into at some point that is going to appreciate everything you've done on your own and is going to look at you and go, wow, what a strong fucking woman to know to leave that guy out of it. And a huge opportunity for a guy who wants children too. you know, to be with somebody who's got a child and is raising her by herself, who's completely capable and competent. You know, these are all signs of extreme strength. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's I think that you have so much to look forward to. And you right now it's hard because it's five months later. I mean, you have a five month old baby. It's it, it. It's natural that you would look at him and be like, I can't believe you don't want any part of, you know, because it's overwhelming. It's exactly. like it's just mind bogglingly overwhelming and, and hard. But I think that eventually you're going to be so happy that you made the decision that you did and that you don't have to be involved with him. And then he can just be someone that brought you to your daughter. And then you don't have to look at him with such resentment. You can look at him as like, you know, he's like a non-thing. But he he was the person that brought you your daughter. So, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. You know, some people are there just to deliver something. Right. And and so many men are just there to deliver semen. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much all that they are useful yeah. for. And that's what you got. You got a beautiful baby girl that you're enjoying and you need to focus on your love for her. Yeah. And you can call him a sperm donor. 
You can just call him a sperm donor. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. Right. You know, when when your daughter grows up and she's like, I want to meet, if she ever asks to meet him, you could say, I have a sperm donor. He's not your father, but I have a sperm donor. <laughs> yeah. And then how cool is it that you worked that hard to get your baby, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> this narrative is working on both sides of things. We're basically encouraging her to lie to her daughter, but, <laughs> you know, but no, it's not a lie because he is a sperm donor. He is. What else did he do? Right. Absolutely. You're right. And you'll also, as soon as you start date, are you, I mean, you're obviously not dating anybody right no, now. You no, sound like God. you're probably pretty busy with your baby. <laughs> yeah. 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 As soon as you start dating people and getting out there and you're feeling ready to do that, you're going to realize that you're all fine. You know, this is all good. And there's going to be more opportunities for having him out of your life than not for having him out of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Amen. I, I hear that. I hear that. Thank you. Do you have anything else you want to add, Lee? No, not really. I mean, I, like you said, I don't, I don't need anything from him. I guess it's more of let it go and look forward and. But seriously, pick up that book by, by uh, David Hawkins. I think it's David Hawkins, right? Is that his name? The author? Yeah. Letting go. Letting go. Read that book. It's, 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 it's like deep. But it really explains to you what you're holding on to when you hold on to like negative thought patterns and negative energy. And you don't want to spread that around to your daughter. No, not at all. Yeah. Really. So start there and report back. (laughs) Will do. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Lee. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I would. Because he would just be a second child. Yeah. It's funny, though, when you when people have babies. They want everyone to love the baby the way they do. I know. Right? Yeah. So that's like my friend who was FaceTiming with her baby. It's like, no, no, I'm not yeah. the father of your baby. Right. And I, <laughs> not even we're not even related. But like people want that. They want to share that. And they want everyone to see how great their baby is. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's just you should be enjoying it. Yeah, exactly. We are going to take a quick break so you can hear an ad and then we'll be right back. So Chelsea, I got an email this week and it was from someone who has an email that's very close to our Dear Chelsea Project at gmail.com email. She said occasionally she gets emails from our listeners looking for advice. She's directed a few over to us. And when people talk about tough stuff, it gets hard not to acknowledge their pain. So she's going to forward those messages to us. She said people seem to really love the show. Keep up the good work. And her name is also Chelsea. Oh, and she has a Dear Chelsea email. Okay, so let's clarify yes. for people. It's Dear Chelsea Project, right? Correct, at gmail.com. Dear Chelsea Project at gmail.com. Okay, so everybody send your emails to Dear Chelsea Project at gmail.com. Please don't hit up other Chelsea's because we want obviously this to come our way so that we can help you so you don't feel like you're being ignored because you're emailing the wrong person. Yeah, so we can stop spamming the wrong Chelsea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad to know there are so many Chelsea's out there. I like to take credit for that. And we have another little quick question as well. I should get a bunch of these. This is from Mickey. Mickey says, I'm in a predicament. I really want to go to the vaccinated and horny tour, but the problem is I don't have anyone that will go with me. (laughs) (laughs) Either they don't appreciate comedy or they're busy. Can I get some advice on what to do? I mean, I don't know. Just go by yourself. What's the issue there? People go to shows by themselves all the time. My friend just went to go see Joe Coy by herself because she was in New York City and he was playing Radio City. And she's like, I don't have anyone to go with. And I said, go alone. And then she, of course, she went alone. Yeah, go alone. That's fine. I like that no one will go with you, though. That's funny. (laughs) 
I personally love to go to like a movie theater or whatever alone. So I used to go. I used to go to the movies all yeah. the time by myself. I oh, loved going to the movie theater by myself. I haven't done that in about ten years, mostly because it feels like movie theaters shut down before COVID for some reason. It feels like they've been shut down for a long time. It seems like an antiquated notion going to the movies, but I would like to go back one day alone. <laughs> Also, I have. Uh, what shows do I have coming up this week? I have Rochester, Buffalo, and Syracuse. If you haven't gotten tickets to Rochester, Buffalo, or Syracuse, you can still get them. And we just added second shows to Toronto, Vancouver, Seattle, and Winnipeg. So second shows have been added in all of those markets because my Canadians love me and I love my Canadians. So I will either see you in Canadian land or American land. You decide. Well, Catherine, what was the theme of today's? I mean, I get a, a secret baby, but it's not yeah. a secret. Yeah, no. wild card. You know, relationships. We had a bad boyfriend. We talked a lot about sobriety today and not having kids. I'm just happy I have yeah. a new sober friend, Rosebud, to be yeah. to be completely honest. Yeah. Because um, usually I try and steer clear of sober people. <laughs> um, well, most of us are admittedly very preachy. I've I've met a lot of us that are a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes I meet people that get sober. Like, I have these two gay friends, Kevin and Brian, that I've been friends with for like 20 years, 25 years. And they, one of them got sober when he was 18. And I was like, it, out, Brian, that I cannot take that seriously. Because <laughs> at 18, we're all fucking alcoholics. I'm like, you, right. you didn't even give yourself a chance to experiment right. and try and control yourself. You just assume <laughs> that you, because you had it in your family, you had to give up alcohol. I'm like, I disagree with that yeah. notion. You have to <laughs> prove that, first of all, you have to prove that you live up to the family hype, you know, you got to really test it out. Do you have a lot of alcoholism in your family? I do. I have a lot of alcoholism in my family. I've got an uncle and an aunt that met in rehab. Well, one of she's dead now, but I never I never really knew her like they were together. And then they gave each other like hepatitis and that one's dead anyway. And then my mom is an alcoholic. She's sober. My dad is definitely questionable. I mean, I, I really do think that it's like up to people to decide if they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, it's not up for other people's. Right. But yeah. So I just go, well, he loves to drink. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know what, Chelsea? I I wanted to get a little piece of advice from you while I was coming over here. I was thinking about this. Oh, wonderful. I love, I love questions. <laughs> I love questions and I love answers. <laughs> Absolutely. I was dying to ask this because I have been struggling so hard with work-life balance where I truly I'll be with my husband on a date and then I get an email and I'm like ch I'm checking the email or I'm like doing I'm just constantly I'm at a place in my career where I can't really slow down and I can tell that it's annoying him but he's also like totally understandable he's in the same industry he gets it so I'm just wondering how you how to do this work-life balance thing that I hear so much about and I never see anybody really nailing it. Like I read this book called Essentialism, which talks about not doing, even if you're walking down the street and you're on your phone, you're doing both of those things poorly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you're out to dinner with your husband and you're checking your phone, like there is nothing that can't wait an hour. There just isn't, yeah. you know? And if there is something that can't wait an hour, you shouldn't be out to dinner. 
you right. know? So like when you're out and you're having times, like it's just healthier for everyone. I know you want to hustle and I know you're at a point in your career where you feel like, okay, there's all these opportunities happening. And absolutely, you're right. You should hustle. You should be paying attention. You want to lay the foundation so that you can have all the time in the world later to do whatever the fuck you yeah. want, right? But there's no harm and you will reap benefits when you set aside time for the people you love so that it is just you and him and there are no phones and there are no emails. And just commit yourself to that. Even if it's two hours a week, you right. know what I mean? Whatever you can do a day, if it's 30 minutes a day, yeah. you know, at dinner or like an hour at dinner or whatever you can afford to do, you at a certain time of day, it doesn't matter if you get back to people 30 minutes later, right. you can. So it's just about making that commitment. And it's like, it's just no fun to be around somebody who's constantly distracted. Yeah. So if you... And I, that is who I am. Right. I truly am always right. distracted. So just start out with a tiny little thing. Every big problem takes one little step. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is so much more manageable. You know, and if yeah. you just say, hey, from seven to eight, you and I aren't going to be on our phones. Or if you're performing and you want to make it a different time, like in the morning, you like have an hour of no phone time. Just do that so that he feels like you're present, that you love him, that he's the priority because so many times it can feel like your career is the priority. I don't know if I want him to feel like the priority. Well, but. I mean, for a half an hour, maybe. <laughs> and the rest of the day, he's going to feel like shit anyway. So why not just right. give him that one half hour? Okay, yeah, that's fair. You know? But I mean, I'm all about vacation time because... I fucking relish it. I just yeah. love it. You know, like even Joe is like, he's like, I've never been in a situation where I wanted to be travel the world with someone. I was like, buddy, that's what I'm doing. Like yeah. we're doing that. And he's like, no, no, I want to, I want to now, you know, we've worked so hard. And it's like, the problem is, is like, we don't think about that when we're coming up. We just want to get the, the credit and we want to get like, yeah, we want our place in this business. And there's a hunger and there's a clawiness and desperation about that yeah that isn't it has to be balanced with yeah. focused attention on a person that you love and yeah. focused attention on something you love so i would just say that about that great problem okay. solved another problem solved That's you guys great. check out uh whiskey fist on comedy central and then look out for rosebud's new show and when we find out where that's going to be we will let you know on this podcast and everywhere else <laughs> oh and follow her on instagram yeah yeah and listen to my podcast find your beach yes listen yeah. to her podcast find your beach everybody <laughs> i hope you have a wonderful day in new york city thank you i hope you are you are you taking off I after am, this yeah where I are you am. headed we're going back to la oh nice yeah all I right. Know. How's the house in L.A.? Are you in the are you in your house now? Uh, no, I just bought a new house in L.A. OK. Yeah. I sold my house when my family invaded my house during covid because mm -hmm. I realized there were too many bedrooms mm -hmm. and they all wanted to live there. And they did. <laughs> and then I put the house on the market and I was like, I'm downsizing. I only want two bedrooms. I don't want any visitors. Yeah. And then, of course, I bought a house exactly like the old house I had. So obviously I, I no plans <laughs> I make ever come to fruition. I'm just like completely in denial about my own existence. I love it. I know. I'm like, I'm going to just get like a pied-a-terre. And I'm like, where? In LA? They don't even fucking have those. And then my friend's like, why don't you move in with Joe? I'm like, Keyless in Studio City. Do not get carried away. Right. I cannot make it over to the valley. Yeah, no, no, no. That's not going to happen. But enjoy. I, I hope you have a good flight back and I hope you enjoy your 14-bedroom pied-a-terre. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I'm looking forward to most on my return flight is the the announcement that the pilot makes at the beginning of the flight, yeah. instructing people not to hit the flight attendants. <laughs> so, I mean, can you fucking believe people? Anyway, have a great day, everybody. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Rosebud. Thank you.